Okay. All right. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Steve Snyder. I'm president and CEO of the Fleet Science Center, and this is our Fleet Podcast. Welcome to all of you. I'm here today with John Shaw. He is a uh, marine cinematographer, marine biologist, commercial diver, uh, all sorts of, uh, does all sorts of cool stuff, but really right now is traveling the world, filming really amazing wildlife, both un- un- above and under the oceans, um, and is the uh, director of photography for our newest IMAX film, Turtle Odyssey. So welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, I, you got your start as a marine biologist. What uh, what bad decision drove you to that? <laughs> well, I think my parents said to me, they were, yeah, you have to go to university and you've got to do something. You know. So I was like, well, I like biology. It's my best subject and I like the ocean. So it was a natural kind of progression. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and then from that, I actually ended up doing um, my commercial dive ticket because you had to do that as part of a marine biology ticket. And that's where I kind of really found my passion for, for diving. Uh, and so, so you just kind of followed up with the diving and kind of made the the right turns. How did you make a turn from? Well, did you actually go into and, and aside from the commercial diving, uh, marine biology at all, or did you just well, kind so of I, make a jump? I completed my degree. Yeah. Um, it did reasonably well in it, um, but I quickly realised that um, to do science full time, you either have to be in, in something glamorous, you know, like whales, dolphins, sharks, whatever. You've got to be either be exceptionally intelligent or have a large backing behind you of some family trust, <laughs> which I had neither. So. Um, I never pursued my science further than my honours degree, um, and then more pursued the diving side of things. Huh. And so how did you make it from there into filming? So I kind of was, well, I was working as a commercial diver in the UK, which was quite a miserable experience. Actually, it's going cold and murky and dark, and um, I then started to do some support with some film companies, and we did um, a little bit of work at Pinewood Studios in the UK, and I think at that point I kind of realised that actually... I really wanted to work in film, and I really wanted to work specifically in underwater film. Um, I moved to Australia, and with that came new opportunities. And um, I actually fe- got, kind of got my first break filming for a, like a TV fishing show, um, where they did this little underwater segment, and I taught the host how to dive. And then I started to film him, and then from that, that kind of grew, and I filmed a bit more, and didn't mess that job up, and got another job, <laughs> and we kind of built right. it from there. So you kind of learned your cinematography on the job, as it were, or in the water. Yeah, pretty much, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, so have you done? I assume we've also done non-underwater work. As I do. Well so now, I, right? I shoot on surface as well. So yeah. whatever <clears throat> work comes up, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot. But I'm most known for my underwater right. cinematography. And so, is there a big uh, a big difference to how you're looking at, uh, at approaching a, a job or a shoot if you're above water? Under, I mean, other than holding your breath, is there anything in particular? I think actually the biggest thing with, especially natural history cinematography, is the fact that you really have to kind of understand the animal and you kind of have to really work out their behavior and know how to approach that subject. If you kind of go in like a bull in a china shop, you know, no one wins, the animal's not happy, you don't get the shot. So a lot of it is actually understanding and just time in the water is spent with whatever species you're going to film. So do you spend? So I take it then that you spend a fair amount of time before you even begin to shoot or bring any film, and and, and learning the animal behavior, or is it just all kind of out and then you find you you figure out how it worked on? Yeah, no, I I done done you know before I re, you know really filmed a lot underwater. I actually spent a lot of time underwater and did a lot of diving, and I used to teach diving as well. So and <clears throat> I used to run a lot of trips overseas. So that mm-hmm. kind of gave me the experience in different areas, and and again that kind of helps when you have a producer coming to you going, actually, I really want to film. X, Y, or Z, and I can go actually go to this plot here, go to this place here, um, you know, and it, that you know has probably helped my career an awful lot. Yeah. So uh, for for Turtle Odyssey, then what was your, kind of your prep for bringing this kind of a, a, a shoot? Well, Turtle Odyssey was my, was my first um, 
director of photography shoot for a 3D giant screen mm. film. So it was kind of a, a big job. And so I kind of did a bit of you know research into looking about, obviously the framing is different. Mm. Um, we're shooting two camera stereo 3D. So there's more complexities with that. Um, and in fact, the project, I'd kind of done a little bit of 3D before in another project, but this is kind of the main project I was working on. But luckily I have quite a close risk a close relationship with um, the producer and his company, Definition Films, and it kind of gave us a chance that we could shoot in the early stages of the film. We could shoot stuff and then actually bring it back to the studio, look at it and work out what was good, what was working, what wasn't working. And we even had a, a rig designer built here in California by Gates, which was for a 3D rig. Um, and again, it was, you know, this is a one-off piece of equipment. So again, we had to kind of test it to see what it would do and how it would, um, and how it would work in that 3D and giant screen space. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big learning curve, but yeah, it kind of it was a learning curve, but then it wasn't actually still shooting was still shooting, and and that act was still pretty much the same. So, is there anything in particular that uh, that you kind of <coughs> discovered in, in in again in all these different trials and working these things out aside from maybe the technical side, but in terms of getting the shots you want with the with the with the creatures? I think the the hardest thing was actually naturally when you when you frame a shot underwater that one of the key things is you need to get really quite close to your subject so you kind of eliminate water between the lens and the and the subject and uh, unfortunately with 3d when we're shooting it you can't get close you had to have a, a minimum working distance and there were certain things where you'd look at a shot and go, that's an epic shot but i knew that just know that it wouldn't work in 3d so a lot of times you have to kind of hold back and go and take these safer shots which um probably wouldn't be the shots i would normally take but they were safer and would work better for the giant screen well, I have to imagine. So, just thinking about this, this notion of framing a shot. So, you're there underwater, and unlike, say, you know, filming a, let's say, a bear on the land, this particular creature can move in three dimensions. It's got an extra dimension of movement there, right, in terms of where it's going. So, so how much of this, how much of these, uh, these shots do you do you kind of uh, get set up and everything's going well, and then the turtle, the the whale, suddenly decides, no, we're going somewhere else. Yeah, that happens an awful lot. And even when you think of the, the camera's a decent size and you've got lights on the camera and you see, you know, this only approaches an animal that kind of looks at you and you're like, and it just goes, why would I swim towards this thing? You know? <laughs> um, but when you, it's interesting that you mentioned that 3D space because I think as a cinematographer, to be able to use that 3D mm. space just naturally and be able to swim and move all the way around with no dolly, no jib is such a freedom and, and actually you can be really creative with that. So... You know, on one hand, it makes it harder, but on the other hand, it makes it slightly easier as well. Are there particular uh, creatures you come across that are, are uh, easier to film or easier to work with? Well, even actually with the green turtle species, which we, we film for Turtle Odyssey, there there are some populations of those green sea turtles that are in areas that are used to tourists snorkeling. And those sea turtles, you know, you can go up to them, you can scratch their back, you can hang out with them, and they you know, don't mind at all. Other populations, you go anywhere near them, and they'll just they'll fly away. So even within species, there's different behaviors so it's kind of you know suck it and see you turn up you see how an animal reacts i normally you know you stay further away to start gradually moving closer moving closer moving closer and you just kind of gauge the animal and see how it's going to react to you yeah so let me ask a question right so so how do you find them in the first place because it's not like they're telling you okay we'll meet you here by this reef at uh, three o'clock so there are quite a few set populations of, of green sea turtles on mm. the um, east coast of australia but also we work with scientists a lot as well and especially with you know these specific aggregations you know the really kind of the money shots for the film where it's going to look really great <clears throat> we work very closely with scientists and we say you know we'd like to shoot here and then they'll say okay well this is the best time of year this is when you've got your best chance uh, and we often have those scientists come with us as well because of they 
a lot of these places are very remote so if they come with us it means that they can do some research at the same time we can have them as advisory and also it helps with you know permitting to make sure that everyone's kind of happy and that we're not you know doing anything we should we shouldn't be doing or you know just basically helping science as well so how you mentioned this a little bit earlier but uh, this idea of filming again in the large format right in this giant screen format and, and some changes in the shot and all that so this is your first your first uh time out doing this huh yeah absolutely yeah and uh, i think it was um i think when i first started getting into imax and giant screen kind of space was in my mind i had these big cinematic kind of epics that kind of go forward and then i kind of learned and it, did some research into the market and realized that actually a lot of it is um you know family films which you know parents take kids to movies or schools take mm-hmm. um you know um, school kids to movies and so you, know, you have to actually kind of tick quite a few boxes. You really want to kind of tick that STEM box. You want to be able to make it so that it, it's available for everyone. It doesn't want to be too scary. It doesn't, you know, and so I, I kind of t- took a step back actually from that, and that kind of changed my perspective on on how to film and how to p- put it together. Hmm. So when you're doing a, a film like this, right? So. Uh, it's not something where someone's sitting down and writing a script and saying, go get these shots. I mean, to a certain extent, you probably have some force. So how much of this, how much is the film that comes together, uh, a, a back and forth between here's what we'd like the film to be. And here's what nature has decided it's going to provide us. Well, we actually had, um, I think we had, we had a good, we had a rough storyline of of what was going to happen to Bungie. Sorry. And so we kind of had a few key species. We wanted to get involved in the film um, but a lot of it with the natural history really is you kind of go to this location, you shoot what you can shoot and get the best shots. And then often you get something a little bit different or something else happens and you go, oh, wait a second, this is pretty cool. And then when you kind of come back to the edit, you know, the editor's going through it and actually the director's going through it and he or she might go, actually, why don't you add in this or let's try and build on this story? This is working really well. So, the, you know, we were lucky that we had a long time to shoot the film. You know, we shot it over a year and that meant that we could kind of go back and, and, build scenes which weren't which weren't really going to be big scenes but all of a sudden became bigger because of the footage that we'd got for certain areas and other scenes which were supposed to be bigger because of x y and z footage but unfortunately we weren't able to capture that right so is there a particular scene it's a particular scene that made it into the film that was one of those you know surreptitious or sort of it just sort of happened oh i'm trying to think actually i think there's a there's a shot of um two cuttlefish coming in and then one of them it gets frightened by the other one and inks and suddenly shoots off and go, goes away. And I think that was actually, a, it's a pretty lucky shot to actually get two cuttlefish doing that. And that was very much an opportunist, opportunistic shot that kind of came through that made it in the final uh-huh. cut. Is there anything that uh, didn't make it in? Was it a great shot that got left there that just didn't work? And that's... No, I think most of the shots that I kind of were, you know, liked yeah. and had in my mind as I was shooting, that most of those shots made it into the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so why don't you tell us just a little bit about, and we've kind of been talking around the, the film itself, but tell us a little bit about, you know, so what's the, what's the, what did the storyline end up being? So the story is, it's the story of Bungie, who's a, is, it's an Aboriginal word for mate or friend. And so she's a green sea turtle. She's hatches out. She runs down the beach and she goes through all these trials and tribulations. Um, some of those natural with natural predators that she has to avoid and work out how she's going to um, survive. Other than, uh, you know, anthropogenic, the man-made issues that come up. So we, we touch on conservation issues, plastic pollution, climate change. Um, and it kind of follows her through this adventure um, until she then, you know, gets to a stage when she can maybe have some more um, babies. So it's kind of her life um, 
Yeah. Kind of okay. So following the turtle. Yeah. From hatching to back to back to the hatching grounds again. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of nice. It, yeah, it really was aimed as a you know as a family film, and I think it was trying to take that documentary style of film but turn it into a story so it wasn't so much a documentary driven piece it was actually a story driven piece um and i think as well you know it was a bit of a coup to have russell crowe narrate the yeah. film as well and his voice is you know is a really kind of i don't know what the word is but uh, kind of, it's just relaxing as he kind of talks <laughs> as you're watching the film it's, yeah it's a good piece <laughs> good good so is there some place in particular for this shoot that you got to go that you you know hadn't been before or someplace um, I think we got access to a couple of um, sand caves quite far north on the Barrier Reef, and they were really special places. They're places that no one really ever gets to go to because they're, um, per, you know, they're sanctuary zones. And we got to go there and spend, you know, we didn't go on the island, but you get to spend a lot of time there, and you mm. feel really privileged to see, you know, part of a um, natural habitat that is untouched by people. And I think, you know. It's an amazing place, and the animals kind of respond slightly differently. They're not as skittish as they are in some places. Um, and you know, when you're sitting on a boat and the sun's going down, you think, you know, we're the only people here, and no one else has really been here for an awfully long time as well. It's yeah, you know, it's very special. That's cool. Well, I guess that's one of the nice things too about film that it allows you to do is that it captures, in a sense, and, and it gives you access to a place where the rest of us, right, <laughs> who don't dive, access to a place that not only we'd maybe not be able to do because of you know not being a diver or not necessarily having funds to do it but you would never actually even get access to anyway yeah absolutely yeah so it's a great uh, great window into a, a different world <clears throat> and even as well because some of those locations were you know we're talking a three-day boat trip just to get to that kind of region so even the cost to kind of get there yeah. is it would be you know prohibitive for, for most people as well so um, you know, I have felt very lucky. Oh great so so with the with the film now that it's done what, what do you hope people walk away with? I hope people walk away, one, appreciating, obviously, green sea turtles and, and, you know, the east coast of Australia. But I think also, I think aiming at that market of the, you know, that family audience and the younger market that, you know, they are decision makers of the future. They can see that there are issues, that things that happen on land have big impacts on things that in the ocean. Um, that actually green sea, turtle, green sea turtle numbers outside of Australia, I believe, are actually starting to recover. So there is a positivity there. But in Australia, they're still decreasing. So it's kind of a, a point that they still need to be, their work it still needs to be done to kind of bring those numbers back. So on one hand, yeah, it's a happy, it's a fun, entertaining film. But I also think that there's a strong conservation message in there as well. Right. So now, being a diver and, and presumably have dived in, in multiple locations around the world, certainly there's a lot in the news right now about plastics. So sort of the new awareness of just uh, the, the level of, of infiltration of these plastics. Have you come across that? Uh, absolutely. Every, you know, I think everywhere... I've dived even the most remote places. There are still, you know, plastic rubbish and everywhere. And it's such a sad thing to see when you're in a place that's super remote and you see a flip flop or a beer six pack holder or whatever floating around. You kind of like, you know, it's just it's just exceptionally sad actually. Yeah, and it's it's an, a it's it's a frighteningly amazing kind of notion to think about when you look at the the volume of the ocean, just how much water we're talking about, how much space we're talking about here that. We produce so much refuse that it actually is everywhere. No, abs- this is is a stunning, stunning notion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think even you know a lot of people talk you know from all the rubbish that comes from Indonesia, but I think unfortunately a lot of Western countries are shipping their rubbish to these countries to kind of dispose of, and so these countries are getting blamed. But actually, it's not them that's necessary. The rubbish is coming from it's you know it's the Western countries, it's us, us that it's coming from. So it is a problem that we all personally need to address, you know, from the ground up. 
Yeah. So the uh, um, this idea, again, is sort of the notion of the conservation notion, whether it's turtles, whether it's, it's again, the pollution issues. Uh, you know, as you see, so, so why, why the ocean? What is it about the ocean that called you? Obviously, as a marine biologist, all the way back before you were going to school, you had a kind of calling to the ocean. What is it about it that... It's funny, I even... Like I never even remember actually learning how to swim. Like my mum used to say that you know I, was, I just could, could always swim, and um, like I have no, I don't know what it is, but I just you know I love swimming. I love being in the ocean. I've always surfed. I've dived. Um, you know I find it a very special place. And even now, you know being older now, that kind of the ocean now gives everything to me. You know it it, it pays my wages. You know it pays my mortgage. So you know it, it does it. It absolutely means everything to me. Oh, great. So what are you doing when you're not in the water? Um, hanging out with my family because I travel a lot so it's nice to spend okay. time at home with my kids um, I also have a passion for technical diving as well so doing deeper sort of mixed mm. gas diving which is kind of an area that challenges me um, and also kind of do a bit of mountain biking as well but other than that I think that's I'm pretty full with all those things <laughs> I was going to say so technical diving tell me a little what's, what's the so technical diving really is when you would dive deeper than, so recreational dive limit would be around 40 metres um, to technical dive you would normally go deeper than that and you use rebreathers, which is a device that takes the CO2 out of the your exhaled breath, and then it only injects oxygen of what you've used up back into the mm. onto the loop. So that tool actually is a, is a really good tool for filming because it means that you can spend an awfully long time underwater, and it gives you an optimum breathing level of um, oxygen and reduces nitrogen. So you kind of reduce that decompression issue. Um, when you dive deeper, it also means the fact that you can put helium into the mix as well. So you take out the nitrogen, which stops narcosis. Um, and it's kind of a very careful balancing act between the gas you breathe and the depth you're going to. Um, and obviously, the deeper you go, the risks are increased. So you have to kind of be more diligent with the way that you execute your plan. Okay. What's been your scariest moment underwater? My scariest moment underwater? Probably the scariest moment actually was it wasn't a deep dive. It was a... I was filming some orca killer whales off um, southwestern Australia. And um, this pod is, um, not, I wouldn't say aggressive, but they feed off melonhead whales and, and it's really quite violent predations. And I was on a film shoot and I jumped in the water to film this predation. And as I was swimming towards it, I'm kind of thinking this is this is kind of like a bit silly, you know. It's a, it's a big, a lot of big animals in a, in a big predation <laughs> event. And I was heading towards them. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, no one ever in the world has ever been attacked by an orca, so I should be fine. And this one orca peeled off and just came straight towards me. And at that moment, I was, my heart just sank and I was like, oh no, this is, this is the wrong decision. I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. But it was funny because it came right towards me and it tilted on its side and actually lifted like its gums and it showed me its teeth like a dog. And it was just hitting me with um, its sonar as well. So it was just fully checking me out. And I, it was my honestly, yeah, my heart was just sank. And then as it swam around, just checked me out and then swam back off again. And it was totally fine. But at that point, I had a real, you know, I, I think I messed up here. This was this was not the best decision. <laughs> well, and for for turtle honesty, right? You got to uh, you also were diving with humpback whales, right? Yep. So is that, I imagine that's got to be a bit of a different uh, kind of experience as well. For me, humpback whales are kind of they're one of my favourite animals to film. They are just they're so special, and to really get those good shots of humpbacks, especially mum and calves, if you you really have to build a relationship with that mum and calf before you they'll let you get close to them mm. so you kind of start off in a bit of a distance and they'll sit there underwater and you just kind of stay with the mom and the calf might come up and swim over and but you always stay with that mum. okay and if you stay with the mum, she kind of realizes that you're not going to chase after her calf and after 15 20 minutes or so they kind of 
the mum just kind of goes, oh, wow, you're entertaining my child. So like, you kind of can <laughs> like, really do what you want. And and they're, they're very trusting. Um, they do everything to kind of avoid touching you. So I'll swim down and I might be coming up to get an eye shot of the mum. And as she comes past me, her pectoral fin, which is, you know, it's really long. It's, th- you know, a third of her body length will actually move and lift over. And so she'll lift over me to make sure she doesn't hit me, you know? So she's fully aware of, you know, what's going on. And she knows that, I think in a way she knows if it hits me, it's going to hurt, right? Because it's a huge piece of animal. And, uh, <clears throat> and that, yeah, those moments are just so special. And I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, the last 10 years in Tonga filming whales. And I still, you know, I still try and go back every year. Yeah, It's amazing. So is that would be, is that, that your sort of favorite? Is there a favorite moment you've had? Favorite yeah, I still, I still think humpbacks yeah. are probably out there. And to have done them as much as, as filmed them as much as I've filmed them, for me still to have that real driving urge to go back and film, you know, I still yeah. feel like I haven't got enough. I still feel like there are shots that I still need to get. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, okay. So what's the shot that you, you know, what's, what's that, uh, what's the shot? What's the one that's out there? The, you know, the John Shaw Holy Grail. What's the shot you want to get? I think my Holy Grail. So I think my Holy Grail would actually be go, go back with the orcas. Actually for me there, that the, there's a place in Southwestern Australia called Bremer Bay and it's 70 kilometers offshore. It's, rough it's tough it's every time i go there i go why am i coming back here it's horrible but for me it really has some of these huge predation events which are exceptionally full-on but i still haven't got what i want to get from there and i still think you know there is a definitely some images there that already you know blow people's minds in the world yeah yeah well i guess that's something we don't really see a whole lot of when you're talking about these predation events these these uh, feeding events that no exactly and and especially here because it's it's super clear blue water yeah. as well it's not kind of dark it's not like norway it's it has a lot of things going for it that'll, that'll work well um but it's just hard because you're, you're offshore it's rough there's well wind you know it's it's an, it's an angry place but it, <laughs> it doesn't want you you know yeah yeah that's cool so um so of the places so is there a place that you haven't filmed yet that uh, you would want to actually get to and dive um Actually, uh, there's uh, there's a spot actually not far from here, which from San Diego, which I'd love to film is um, the Socorro Islands. Yeah. Actually, I've, you know, I've never never been out there. I've, a lot of friends have shot out there, and um, yeah, that's a place I'd, I'd love to go out to film. Oh, great! That's great. So, uh, so you think back on the marine biology? Uh, I'm guessing at this point you're not putting the camera down anytime soon, right? No, the camera will <laughs> go down. But look, I think I still use that that marine biology knowledge. Often, yeah. often I'm working with scientists and, and actually having a, a base scientific knowledge is very useful when you're, when you're dealing with a scientist and you're trying to, you need their kind of, I'm sure a lot of scientists who deal with, you know, high profile species get a lot of filmmakers trying to speak to them and, you know, get information. And I think if you have a base level of understanding, they have that re- respect and um, you can kind of talk on their level, which, which does help an awful lot. So although I'm not using that degree directly, I think indirectly, I, I absolutely am. Oh yeah. Well, hey, look, we're a science center here. So we'd always say, yes, any science knowledge is going to be good knowledge. Absolutely. It's going to help you out. Absolutely help you out. Uh, great. So is there anything else, anything else we, we should be knowing about Turtle Odyssey? Any, so here's the thing. So you've got someone who's going to come in, who's going to see this film. What's the thing they should look for that they might miss? What's the thing you're afraid people are going to miss? It's there and they don't quite know how special it actually is. I think near the end of the film, you know, I don't want to let too much go about the yeah. film, but near the end, um, there is a very special place and you know, there's a lot of, a lot of turtles there and it's, it, yeah, to get access to there and to um, see that is a very unique location in the world. So that's be one of the kind of things to keep in mind here. Is yeah, that, uh, the film is a great film. It's got a great story to it, great shots, but also access to places that 
you're not ever going to have access to. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, that's really great. All right, good. Well, um, I will thank you. It's been really fantastic talking to you. We're excited to uh, kind of get the film up and open tonight and uh, uh, and let people in on this kind of amazing world that you've had the, the opportunity to film for us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for having me. 